0: the alley open there's Josh Debo. Time wise down oh. and a new career high with that final rejection for Josh Debo, the man of the night in college station.
1: Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. We had a bit of an unplanned extended hiatus. We had a the Thanksgiving holiday and then that was followed up by some business travel and a cold wherein I lost my voice. Although some might argue that that, that would improve the quality of the podcast, but we are back and we are here to look at back-to-back wins for the, for Aggie basketball. So David, where where are your th- thoughts? This has been a bit of a roller coaster since uh since we last talked so where where are you at on on the state of aggie basketball at this point
0: well during your description of the last few weeks you failed to mention the one time that we finally thought we had it all together we logged on we were ready to talk aggie hoops and then skype just decided that the show wasn't going to happen that night and that was three nights ago so i say all these things kind of conspired to put us in the best possible position right because the times we had previously decided to talk we would have been varying degrees of pissed off or unhappy about a close win against a terrible team. Now none of those things have to happen. None of those things have to exist on tape attached to our name. Instead, we get to talk about what was truly an exhilarating and completely surprising win against Oregon State at home. So I know in the pre-show chat you and I had, we talked about how we will go back through, we'll catch up Orlando, Texas, Tamu CC, and then Oregon State. But we have to start here, right? I mean, nobody saw this coming. We were healthy underdogs at home. Oregon State had won seven straight. We hadn't shown any life against anybody but the over 300 Ken Palm dregs, and we got a win,
1: man. Like, this is great. I mean, how are you feeling right now? This is fantastic. This is fantastic. I, I, this was the win that I think we were all hoping would, would come along. Um, it certainly gives the program life. This is what you need to keep these guys plugged in. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy for the team because this was a complete team win, they looked great. The this upperclassmen looked great. The the underclassmen had solid contributions. So you know this was this was a big win at home. Kind of during that dead period, the the holiday hoops period that Aggie uh, uh, athletics promotes. And so you know you wanted you wanted a good momentum builder here, and you got one. You got a really nice momentum builder that kind of gives you some uh, a, a good a good direction heading into conference play.
0: And I'm going to tell you, Blake, with about eight or nine minutes left in the second half, they showed a bench shot of us when we were up 10 or 12. And I just saw the desperation written on everyone's face. And it became clear to me just how important this one was going to be. It also became clear to me that if we were to lose that game, it would be 10 times as emotionally devastating as have we lost to Oregon State by 30 and just been run out of the gym off the jump. So I'm glad we held it together. But those bench shots, man, even the yeah, those bench shots you see—flag, Nebo, the guys up and down the bench. How desperately they needed something because in order to survive the Buzz William boot camp, you know, horribly congested schedule, you have to be able to layer some success in there somewhere. You have to be able to say, "This is what happens when the system works to its fullest potential." This is what it looks like when you guys play to you know play to your ceiling. And up until this point, that ceiling was a three-point win over Troy, a three-point win over. TAMU Corpus Christi right like that's not those aren't tangible results that you can hold on to that can help you get through the next week of you know torturous workouts and awful awful practice schedules this is something we can hold on to this is something where as things tend to get a little congested as you work into the meat of the SEC schedule you can look back and say this is this this is our ceiling this is what we're capable of I am really really excited because it was starting to look like, Blake, I had made my peace with the idea that we just were never going to get that moment. So the fact that we had a really quality win, and we'll touch on this in a second, but this is a quality win and one that we ran away from. It was a 15-point margin of victory, victory, and it wasn't even particularly that close. I mean, I think Oregon State got it within eight once, like in the last 10 minutes. It was really, really kind of a a calm win for the, the level of underdog that we were, so... I don't know where to take it from here other than to say should we just hit the game mechanics real quick and then and then talk about our thoughts?
1: Yeah, go ahead and jump into the game recap and then we can kind of expand on our thoughts and and kind of where where we where we go from here and then we'll we'll kind of backtrack to the prior few weeks and and walk through the evolution of how how we got to this point.
0: I think that's great, and so I'm going to start with the first half, as one does when talking about basketball games, <laughs> and and like most of our basketball this season. The first half really wasn't that great, although I will note there was a stretch where we uh, we kind of steered back into the skid. We got things going again, and we actually had built some legitimate momentum, so much so that it took a couple of pretty heinous offensive foul calls against us to kind of slow the momentum and allow Oregon State to regain their footing. At the end of the half, it was a 30-22 to 22 Oregon State lead, but we had kind of fired some morning shots, right? It, did, it had already felt different to me at that point. The fact that we were able to dig our heels in. I mean, think about the Gonzaga game, right? Where once Gonzaga found their footing, we never challenged again. And, and that was not the case in this first half. So we were able to put some momentum together. Uh, I think we had a nice run to go up one or two before we kind of fell apart in the last few minutes. But it was a 30-22 to 22 halftime advantage for Oregon State. We had kind of staked our claim. It appeared, at least at some level, like it was going to be slightly different. Until, of course, the second half started. Then Oregon State immediately scored a couple buckets. I think there was a technical foul in there. They pushed the lead to 11, maybe 12. And I was thinking, oh, man, here we go again, right? And then what happened next was truly incredible. For the next eight to nine minutes, we put it all together. When I say all, we put it all together, every single facet of the game. The end result was a 20-3 to three run that flipped the game on its ear. But instead of being down 11, we were up nine. And then, like I mentioned at the outset, it never really changed from there. We cruised home, ended up with a 64 to 49 victory. Blake, what was your favorite thing? I know it's like for picking a favorite child, but tell me how you feel, man.
1: So we, I think most, most of us, most of our listeners are aware of my affinity for, uh, just solid big man play, uh, especially defensively minded big man play. And, josh nebo was was just stellar and this this is going to turn into a bit of a josh nebo love fest but man that guy has has been so solid this year and i think that this is something that that i wanted to, to touch on later but i'll go ahead and just hit it now he has been the the engine driving this thing and i think it took a little bit for buzz to kind of trust josh just because he had been out for so long leading into the season he been out with injuries and and just trying to rehab and get healthy I don't think buzz really knew what to expect but once josh was on the floor and once he was was able to give a hundred percent it's quickly become evident how much this team relies on him I don't think this is the normal style of play that buzz really wants to to utilize but nebo has been so dominant that he really I mean he has no other choice because josh has been so great inside this one 15 points seven boards eight blocks eight blocks man it was and the blocks to just every time it looked like oregon state might weave their way back into this thing here comes nebo with this massive block and just it, it just it was a momentum stopper every time i i i can't say enough great things about nebo you know we we talk about we got spoiled right with tyler davis we got spoiled because he was such a great offensively minded big man. He played good defense. And then on the other side, you had Robert Williams, who was a lot of flash, who was a great defensive big man. So those two combined kind of really, you know, set set a really great precedent. Um, And there's been some great Aggie post players over the last 10, 15 years. But, you know, Nebo this year has just, you know, what he's putting together is really incredible. The way he, has evolved his offensive game as well. You didn't—you didn't really think of him as a great offensive player, other than just throwing the oops up there and letting him go get the ball and 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 dunk it. But I really like his aggressiveness in the paint. He's finishing strong. He's drawing fouls, but he doesn't have to finish strong. You need him to knock down an eight-footer. He'll hit an eight-footer. He'll knock down a hook shot. You know, he'll he'll get the other post player into a bad position and make an easy bucket. So I really like what I've seen from the evolution of his offense game we knew his defensive game was there and it's it's just really cool to see all of that come together
0: it is and I, I don't really have much to add other than to say it was easily our best performance of the year and I think there's a chance that it, it'll stand the test of this season and I, I could easily see this remaining on top of the mountain as the best single performance by an a player this season such was his level of dominance one nice little wrinkle that I can add to your stat line that you dropped didn't miss a field goal I mean, it was it was it wasn't even that he was a volume shooter to get to his 15 points. He was five for five from the field, uh, eight blocks, matches a career high. I don't know who he's battling with Blake, but he's either he oscillates between first and second in terms of active blocks leaders in all of D1 college basketball. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty nice thing to have in your hip pocket, right? To have somebody like that patrolling the rim. But the success uh, the success down low doesn't just stop with him. Emmanuel Miller yet again was huge in terms of turning the rebounding tide in our direction. He had 13 more boards. We were dominant on the glass, a 46-32 to 32 advantage. Our third straight game winning the rebounding battle after not winning any of our first seven. I think that's another
1: really, really solid adjustment that we've made is playing uh, Miller on the opposite block. Yeah, I think so. He, he hasn't done a lot offensively, but, but he, has, he has cleaned up the boards, man. And that's exactly what this team needed is, is somebody who can go, go get a loose ball go fight for go fight for boards go get the rebounds and and get the game transitioning back to the offensive end and and miller has really stepped up and it's one of those things where and and you know every coach is, every coach says that they're this way um the degree to which you see that put into practice it, it varies among coaches but buzz is definitely one of the, those guys if you're going to go do the perceived little things you're gonna get minutes, right? He, he if you're a great player, but you're not willing to, you know, you can be the most athletic guy out there, but you're not willing to do the hard work and work on the defensive end or clean up the boards or whatever it is, you're not your minutes are gonna hurt because of that. So Emmanuel Miller is is a classic case of a guy who isn't doing Tremendous things offensively, but because he's he's doing the right things from a defensive perspective and from a a rebounding perspective He's getting pretty significant minutes. I mean 31 minutes against oregon state. That's that's pretty solid for for a freshman
0: It is and it's had an interesting knock-on effect to the rest of the lineup because it's moved flag to the three Obviously you have either french or gordon always in at the one It seems like generally jackson and and chandler are splitting time at the two which hasn't left much uh, for old Chuck Mitchell. He only got 14 minutes to, uh, in this win over Oregon State after only 7 in the win over TIU uh, Corpus Christi. I'm starting to feel like he just might be a casualty of this new setup because our situation on the glass was dire. Our situation defensively had really dipped in an almost an unacceptable way after that solid start in the opening two weeks of the season. And Chuck was kind of not really helping in either of those areas, right? So you had a guy who wasn't really that useful defensively. Certainly, you know, at 6'1", he's not going to give you much on the boards. And then even with him in the lineup, you're still at or near the bottom of the D1 metrics in just about every major offensive category. I could see why Buzz would just say, well, shoot, let's just focus on defensive or rebounding. You know, if if I'm not getting an offensive spark from this guy anyway. Uh, And and I think the end result here, Blake, is, you know, he hit a big three in the game against Oregon State. I think he has value as a spot-up shooter. I think he's I could really see him looking at the at a seventh or eighth man role moving forward, barring injury.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, And and really, the thing with Chuck is is he's struggled with uh, his shooting percentages. He was a great shooter last year, probably one of the best shooters on the team. And this year, he's really struggled with field goal percentage. So if he's you're right, if he's not a significant contributor on the defensive end, he's not cleaning up the boards and he's not knocking down shots he is going to kind of be relegated to a to a 7th or 8th man in the rotation role. And uh, the other knock-on effect that you kind of touched on, but I do want to expand on this, Savion moving to a 3 is much better for Savion's game. Savion is not a 4. He was playing a 4 out of necessity, but he is not a 4. Um, so I think the results speak for themselves. Savion, after struggling for... a a good part of the season had 13 points against Oregon state. He was five of eight from the floor. He had two, three, two threes, um, five rebounds. I mean, this was, this was uh, what you expected to see from Savion, maybe a little bit under on the scoring perspective, but this was, this, this was a return to the Savion of old where, for for several weeks now, he had looked kind of out of sorts, and he hadn't he just hadn't looked comfortable really since the the earliest stages of the season. And I think you saw him reemerge into a role that he's more comfortable playing and one that's more suited to his style. So this was this was a really big win for the Aggies. I'm I'm really happy happy for the team for the for the program in the in its entirety, right, top to bottom, coaches, staff, everybody. This is one of those big wins that I think could build some momentum headed into conference play, which is a very stark difference from what we saw three weeks or almost four weeks ago in Orlando uh, at the Orlando Invitational. That was a a rough go, and I think it had many of us kind of scratching our heads and wondering where this team was headed.
0: You know, it was rough, and I I almost hate to go back, but given how long it's been since we've talked, we do need to go back, right? And I think it actually helps set the stage for just how impressive this Oregon State win was, is to think about where we were three weeks ago and just how bad things were in Orlando. I don't want to live in this place for too long. I don't, I don't I don't. like this three weeks ago timeline. It wasn't fun, but it's worth mentioning and it helps set up the story for how quickly we've turned things around. So yeah, let's let's hit Harvard. And there's not really a, a ton of game flow to discuss, Blake. What I'd rather talk about is the nature of how we lost these games in Orlando. So in the game against Harvard, we we kept it reasonably close before fading late. I wouldn't say it was necessarily a one-possession game down the stretch. Heading into that game against Harvard, they did appear to be built to attack some of our problem areas. Uh, At this point, we had yet to introduce Miller into the starting lineup, and it was basically Nebo and the Four Dwarfs trying their best on the glass. And as we might expect, uh, Harvard absolutely murdered us uh, down low. They they were already kind of a surprisingly tall team for being a non P five team, and on top of that, they had a couple of guys who were you know six seven six eight with really good offensive rebounding metrics. I remember you and I talked about this in the lead up to this uh, to this game to begin with. It played out of battles we expected on that front to the tune of a forty to thirty rebounding advantage for Harvard. But what's worse than that is we had a seven to sixteen assist to turnover ratio. Our offensive game was static. It was slow. It was uninspired. The end result was a particularly ugly 62-51 to loss to Harvard. Blake, I don't know what else you want to hit on this one. Uh, I'll just say that it it didn't really look that great. We were headed towards the loser's bracket. We were hoping we could grab two wins
1: or at least one, but this certainly was not the opener you wanted. No, definitely not. And and the thing is, is Harvard could shoot the ball. They were 22 of 22 from the line. Free throws, 22 of 22. That's That's incredible as a team to shoot. Shoot perfect on twenty plus free throws. Uh, that that's is a Harvard statistic right there. Uh, you know, doesn't the world that make sense when, when
0: teams act exactly as they're supposed to, right? I mean, that is just some Harvard stuff, right there. Exactly.
1: Yeah. When when good when when good shooters shoot well, that's that's such a yeah. The the world makes sense. Um. And and it's one of those things. You know, we we've, we've talked about this for a while. A M has really struggled over the last three to four seasons with free throw shooting, and it can really make a difference. In a game, and you know, you look at this one. AM and went 14 of 23. Uh, Harvard went 22 of 22. There's there's a nine a nine point difference. Yeah, it was an 11 point uh you know an 11 point loss. But there's you know that's a huge that's a huge momentum swing and an indicator of you know when you're doing the little things right and when you're taking advantage of points that are that are given to you you know things are going to generally work in your favor so uh yeah it just it, it it wasn't a great start to the tournament and i i don't think we realized at the time or i didn't realize watching this game at the time how how badly things were going to go so uh in in that sense let's let's jump into the temple game
0: So let's do it. And whereas Harvard was a game that appeared to be a coin flip as we entered it, you know, and and I could see that it's a game we wanted to win, but a loss certainly looked possible and kind of playing close, fading down the stretch, succumbing to the obvious weaknesses that aligned with Harvard's strengths. That one was somewhat easy to take, right? Heading into Temple, I would say Temple is better than Harvard, even though we were in the loser's bracket. Temple is a solid team. You know, they're a team that makes noise in the of the tournament every now and again, and I thought, oh, man, we're going to have a tight one on our hands. What I did not think is that Temple was going to blow us out of the water, and that's exactly what happened in this one. They built a 32-18 to 18 halftime lead. We carved our way back in. I think we opened up the first part of the second half with a 17-8 advantage. We kind of got it down into single digits. And then they slammed the door with a 25-7 to 7 run that effectively took the rest of the second half. And the problem here, Blake, is that we were—I I felt we submitted pretty meekly in this game, right? There was not a lot of fight. There was not a lot of—this is the first time I really noticed that the defensive intensity, which up to that point had carried us even on our days when the shooting wasn't there— It was nowhere to be found against Temple. Guys were wide ass open. Our rotations were slow. At this point, like you know, I know the the structure of this pod is weird because these are problems we have since solved. the The defensive effort on the floor, the defensive unit involving Mitchell and Flag at the floor, like these things, they just weren't working right. And so, honestly, Temple just blew us out of the water. And this was a particularly frustrating game that. Uh, and just to make it worse, right to play this poorly over Thanksgiving break—that's that's when a lot of people are tuning in for the first time—and we really kind of scuffed a really good chance to to at least get people excited about the Buzz era early. Um, I don't know what else you want to hit in this one, other than to say that I felt that this was the first time I saw an effort problem on the floor. I'll leave it that way.
1: Yeah, I, there was there was definitely an effort issue. I think I will step back, and I know this this may seem a bit hindsight is twenty twenty or a bit of revisionist history. I didn't feel good about a matchup with temple this one, this one just didn't, I felt like temple was a pretty salty team and, and they proved it, man, they're, they're solid and they, they looked really good, but a lot of that was also A&M didn't look good. And you kind of question, was it temple making A&M look bad or was it just simply a lack of effort? I I think there was a little bit of both. Uh, Temple's a good team, but I don't think the Aggies brought their best effort into this one. And you hate to say that, but it just it was not a pretty game. They didn't they didn't look they didn't look right.
0: So yeah, aside, aside from the defense, aside from the fact the rotation wasn't really set, those same problems resurfaced that that had hit us 24 hours prior. The assist to turnover ratio in this game was eight to thirteen, which now meant we were working at a 15 to 29 deficit, and you know over the course of 48 hours, and we got beat on the glass 38 33, and we kept and on top of all that we still weren't really shooting well. So I mean you don't take care of the basketball, you don't you don't rebound well. Uh, your team is in flux in terms of guys aren't really sure of their roles yet. We're not rotating well. We're not shooting well. I mean, it, it really was about as bad of a start as you could get to the tournament until we played Fairfield. So that was that's where things I felt truly hit rock bottom. Um, I don't know before before we get to the 0 and 2 seventh place. Classic. Uh, anything else you want to hit from Temple?
1: No, I think that that's. I think you pretty well summarized it there. It just it was an ugly game all the way around, but it was unfortunately a harbinger for of what was to come against Fairfield.
0: And this was the one for me, right? I mean, this is this is when I, I was just glad a live mic was not put in front of me after this game because after this loss to Fairfield, I was livid. Uh, this sixty-seven to sixty-two loss. It was a tight game. I mean, it shouldn't really be a tight game. Fairfield is a team in the Ken Palm two nineties. They don't really. Long and close game with us, but there we were in a close game with Fairfield and and at the ass end of the Orlando Invitational. The part of this game that was absolutely maddening is that the uh, Fairfield had one offensive threat, one offensive threat, a guy named Landon Talioferro. All he could do was shoot, and he was their only offensive threat. And we left this man open repeatedly all day long. I don't know if you, uh, for those of you who were able to watch the game with the sound on, poor Dan Dakich, the color commentator, was just beside himself. at how, The way we were leave, leaving this guy open, he was just, he wanted to go out there. and He, he wanted to go coach the guys really, really on, on the floor right then. You could tell it was just driving him insane. Um, and yeah, it was an ugly loss. It was an ugly loss, 67-62. And it was the first time, Blake, that I felt we had a, a legitimate split in the Aggie Hoops community since Buzz had come on board. So it was a split, but it was a split in the exact opposite direction of what we're used to. So think about the split we had last year and in previous years where it was like, oh, we have a good team now, but is this the right move for the future? Now the argument was, well, we know we've got the right move for the future, but is Buzz doing a good job right now? Is there a reason for us to be this bad? And there was some pretty significant difference of opinion between you and myself, between the largest floss of the a and basketball community and online. It was really kind of a divisive issue. And I will say now that I've landed here, there's no point in providing a short-term grade right now there there's no value in grading buzz williams in his opening five weeks on the job but at that point had you pulled me after the fairfield game i would say he's not doing a good job like his op- his opening salvo here has hasn't gone well so that was kind of the problem and it feels weird to kind of slip back into this mode on the on the back of something that had so successful you know 24 hours ago but yeah the, uh, the loss to Fairfield, it really felt bad. At that point, it felt like we were cemented as the worst Power 5 team in the country. And above all else, it just felt like there wasn't really a good reason for us to be that bad. So uh, t- help me out here. What was your mental headspace in the aftermath of that
1: loss? Yeah, um, so so we had had a, we had had a, a an extended conversation uh, amongst ourselves and a couple of other friends about the state of the program after the Temple loss. And I think after the Temple loss, I was of the mindset, hey, look, Temple's a good team. Harvard is a good team. These aren't, you know, are they? Are they top twenty-five teams? No, but these are easily Ken Palm top one hundred teams. Um, you know, these. This is this wasn't uh, a surprise to me, but then the fear the Fairfield loss was a shock, and I think I I had to do a lot of searching myself, and and I came to the conclusion, and I know that you know there was some comments back and forth amongst our, our, our group of friends. And my, my point was like, look, I'm not happy with the results. I don't like the loss to Fairfield. It was ugly. There was, you know, there was once again, a lack of effort. The team is frustrated, but there's no sense in, you know, one, one, one person made the comment. Well, you need to, you know, we need to make the the statement to buzz that this isn't acceptable. And my perspective was, you think, you think he doesn't know that? like, do you really think that Buzz Williams needs to be told that that uh, a loss to Fairfield is unacceptable? There's no, you get no use out of sending a message at this stage in 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 uh, in his career to to say that this is an unacceptable loss. I mean, he he's disappointed. The whole team is disappointed. I I, I just I at that point, you know, I think you just kind of have to ride things out. And I'll be honest with you, from I've had these experience with coaching changes. So, you know, I played I played sports in high school. Uh, in in football, we had three head coaches in the span of my four years of high school. Um, it changes tough. It's it's really hard when you're when you're in the rhythm of something and and all of that gets unsettled. And one of the things I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of the things I, I've done over the last couple of weeks is actually go back and listen to some of the buzz interviews. You know, even the interviews from. Um, Uh, Andrew Monaco did a really great interview with Buzz when he was first hired. And and Buzz basically called exactly what you've seen happen this season. And I think it really, for me, put this Fairfield loss in perspective. And Buzz said, look, the way things are going to work is the offense we're going to run this year isn't going to be the offense that I want to run over the long term. I've got to figure out what I have, and I've got to figure out how I can build something that works for the guys that are in the program and have been in the program for one, two, three years, as well as for the new guys who are coming in that can transition those new guys into the proper style of play that I want them to to be playing in three years when they're you know when they're seniors. So you know it, it's it was it was kind of revelatory into his mindset and and it helps explain a lot of these results and some of the things that you're seeing on the floor. You know, he he is going to to build this. And I made this point to to our group of friends. Sometimes if you're going to restore the house, you have to strip it down to the studs first, because if the plumbing and the electrical are shit, you can restore the house, but you're still going to have plumbing and electrical issues, right? New new drywall isn't going to fix that. So from that perspective, I, I see what, what Buzz is doing as, as restoring the house, and he's got to strip it down to the studs in order to get it to to the place that he wants it to be.
0: Well, I'll close that by saying this. I hope that was us stripping it down to the studs. And it's certainly the narrative since then has supported that argument because even though the two performances immediately after that game against Fairfield weren't particularly great, they did show clear areas of improvement in areas of need. And more specifically, they showed buzz making specific adjustments that are like easy to digest, right? For the casual observer, Uh, kind of something to cling to, even if the result on the court isn't that great. So I think this is a good time for us to transition to the next game, which was the game against Texas. And before we jump into the game against Texas, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Alright, so let's talk Texas. We were 10.5 point dogs in, in this neutral site game against Texas, and coming off the loss against Fairfield, it was a pretty dire situation. Uh, hats off to all the Aggies that made the trip to the brand new Dickies Arena in Fort Worth. And I, I did, I, I came into this game, as many Aggie hoop supporters did, harping on two things, shooting and rebounding. Our shot selection had been poor the entire trip in Orlando, as you and I just laid out. We were getting murdered on the boards the entire trip on Orlando. And of course, we weren't taking care of the ball in Orlando. The game against Texas reflected fixes in two out of those three, right? Because we actually did do a pretty decent job on the glass. And I have to say we did a good job on the glass against the Texas team that includes a presumptive NBA pick Kai Jones, who's really kind of one of those guys who makes his hay strictly by being a nuisance on the glass and by protecting the rim. And we kept him at bay, and uh, we also had a much better shot selection. It's surprising in a game that you lose by ten. Uh, the final score was sixty to fifty. You know, not to bury the lead or anything, but in the sixty to fifty loss, uh, we shot forty eight percent. Which you know, it doesn't, it something doesn't appear to add up there, right? You're like, well, we did well on the glass. We shot forty eight percent. What could have happened? Uh, Twenty two turnovers happened. So that 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 was the that was the third piece that we didn't fix is that we turned the ball over like crazy. And what's worse, and Buzz touched on this in his post game interview. These are what he referred to as live turnovers. This is not, uh, we f- we failed to execute a lob pass and the ball goes out of bounds under the basket. This was a deflection, a block. Something happening where the ball is now flying back at our own basket in bounds. And so what that led to, Blake, that's a 22-5 transition advantage for Texas in a game that they won by 10. And that was it. That was everything. So that, I mean, that, that spoke to the entire margin of victory. Our defense was actually much better. It was a much better defensive effort compared to Orlando. Uh, Texas really didn't shoot the ball well. It was kind of an ugly game for them reason but it was it was uh, it really kind of spoke to given our talent level we can't even take a single facet of the game off right because even though we had fixed just about everything we didn't fix the turnovers and I think the way this team is built with the current roster construction if you fail in one area we're just not going to win many p5 games so the final score was 60 to 50 I did feel better about the rebounding particularly. And this was the first of the three games that I had discussed where we've slotted Miller down low and kind of fixed that rebounding problem. The turnovers were pretty nasty. um, But unless I still consider that an improved effort. How did you feel relative to Orlando?
1: Yeah. I I echo all of your sentiments. Um, You know, I felt better about the rebounding. The, the turnovers were just horrendous, but once again, this program has kind of been prone to those turnovers. So I, I, you know, it was kind of, it felt like a bit of a relapse, but not unexpected. I will give credit to, to, to the team. Here's, the, here's the, the, the statistic that made me say, okay, wait a minute, something's different here. The team went three of 11 from three. Now, you would say, wait a minute, going three of 11 from behind the arc is a good thing? The, the denominator of that equation, 11 shots from behind the arc, to me was a good thing. They only took 11 three-point attempts. Um, that to me says, okay, they've come to the realization that they're, they're not shooting the ball well. So we, we need to kind of pull back on that side of the thing. Um, as opposed to, for example, the temple game where they had 33, three point attempts, uh, the, the game against Harvard, I think they had 20 three point attempts and then, uh, Fairfield, they had 27. So I think the realization of, Hey, we're not shooting the ball well from behind the arc we've got to change our style of play. Texas was the first game where you really saw them start to a- adapt a new style and force something that's not working.
0: We adapted a new style and then we you know we really appeared to to make changes and even though it's not about making me happy about making you happy about making the casual fan happy, it does help to see a change. And not like a change not a subtle change in the way like we flex and flow or like back cut or anything that you know you can't see without some like pretty detailed game game tape review. Just basic fixes. Put more tall guys in. <laughs> Don't shoot as many threes. Like right. you know, the sort of things that you can latch onto. Like, okay, we are trying to fix our shooting and rebounding problems by these very basic fixes. And I think the uh, the Fairfield loss, you know, again, if this is the strip it down to the studs moment, I think that was kind of a, well, what's the first thing you do? You have to strip it down to the studs. Like, oh, man, we're getting killed on the boards. Let's play more tall people. Oh, man, we're like fifth worst in the nation in shooting threes. Let's shoot less threes. You know, it was kind of like this reductive first-grade reasoning, but it did. It led to a better product. And, you know, again, it was it was a game we lost by 10. And Texas at some points had the lead at, at you know, 14-15, and it wasn't particularly fun to, to lose to them. But it was an improvement. And that really is what this season is going to be about because the results, despite how much fun we had against Oregon State, they're not going to be there this year. I mean, I think we're probably looking at a couple more dry spells coming in the early part of 2020. But if you can look for fixes like this and if you can look for areas of improvement and if you, if you can look for what has become a really improved structure of play from Emmanuel Miller who had 14 boards in this game, things like that are, are what we're going to try to grab from this season. So that kind of closes the book for me on this game other than to say I hope we play Texas every year. It would be nice to play them next year and kind of knock the smile off their face that, that everybody had walking out of the Dickies arena.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and back to your, your point about the fixes, I think that – for for me the biggest change is just that change in mindset right with the previous regime and i, I you don't want to keep going back to you know what what kennedy did wrong per from a perception standpoint or any of that but it felt like there was a resistance to change this is the system i've implemented this is the way we're going to do things whether it works or it doesn't work this is the way it's going to run and and it felt like when things weren't going well what are you really doing to fix it i mean these minor fixes aren't aren't changing The outcome, this was this felt like, okay. the minor fixes are over. We've got to go back to the fundamentals and change something about the fundamental identity of the the way that this team is playing in order to improve the results. And so that to me, that's a comforting outcome to see, you know, to see that willingness to step away from uh, this principled approach of this is how we're going to do things.
0: And earlier when I said I was done talking about this game, I lied. I do have one more thing I want to mention. Uh, so I think something that we fixed is, and, and I think we I think we saw this in the last five to six minutes of the Texas game. We kind of got out of our own heads a bit, and we just started chasing the game. You know, whenever we moved out of, oh man, we need to run the buzz offense to perfection and get a good shot. You know, within fifteen feet, but also not shoot too quick. You know, we can You know, all those kind of competing thoughts that tend to grind our possessions to a halt and we're honestly in the Texas game it was those that type of thinking specifically that was leading to the turnovers in the last few minutes the guys just played ball it was beat my man get a good shot you know get a stop and we just we, we simplified the game to its absolute core and in those last few minutes we played well. We got good looks. We actually hit a couple of threes. We played like we played decent. It was actually kind of fun to watch. And uh, again, you know, that was that effectively served to close the game from like 17 to 10 or 17 to like eight or seven before Texas pulled back away again. But it was kind of an interesting look into, well, maybe this is what we should be doing a little more often, not all the time. But uh, as I wrote about, I said, we got to chase that feeling. We don't don't need to chase the we're down 10 feeling, but we got to chase this feeling of beat my man Get a good shot up, get a stop. You know, just kind of reducing the game to its basic level, uh, and I, th- I think that's something that we didn't necessarily fix by the time we played a And M Corpus Christi, but we did definitely fix it against Oregon State. Right? Is that you could tell we were because if you think about it, Blake asking this team to make ten passes over the course of a twenty five second possession—that's, I mean. You're begging for disaster, right? Like that's just not smart. We don't have that type of team this year that's going to be able to make that many passes against a good D1 defense without something going wrong. So, uh, as we simplified game things near the end of that game, I think we may have seen the type of ball we we might start playing a little more often.
1: And now, yep, that's I think it. you're no, exactly no right. <laughs> All right, no more Texas. Yeah, so let's let's jump into Corpus Christi then.
0: So the a Corpus Christi game, uh, it stung a little. We we, we won, so th- that's the fun part. We won sixty-three to sixty at home against a Corpus Christi. But it was kind of a disaster, a game to be honest. We you know the good feelings that we had, if you can call them that, after a double-digit loss to Texas, you know, the things that we had fixed appeared to completely disappear in the early portions of this game against A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, so much so that we were down thirty-one to twenty-four at halftime after a particularly putrid shooting and kind of defensive effort in that first half, uh, and, and then I would say, like, uh, Corpus Christi kind of even pushed it to, I think it was 11 or 12, early part in the second half, at which point, you know, we're down 11 to the 298th ranked team in the nation, like, let's get it together, boys, and at, I will say, you know, at that point, we did flash a, a quick 11 run on the heels of Gordon and Miller, particularly playing well, but it was tight down the stretch, it was really tight down the stretch, and it, it, we actually had to, we were kind of bailed out by a by a, a dubious traveling call against Corpus Christi as they had the ball down three. That allowed us to kind of skate by with, you know, kind of that old tug of the collar of like, oh, we'll just take this one. And I will say this, uh, it was an ugly game. We didn't play well. But the college basketball landscape is rife, I would say, Blake, more so than normal with these really ugly losses for P5 teams all over the place this year. So, in that context, I'll just say whatever we won, and we'll hit the nuts and bolts of what we thought we learned, but I think I'm just learning in these home paycheck games, if things get weird, just take the W
1: and get out of there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Sometimes you just have to chalk up a win and, and move on. I, I can remember many, many years ago, uh, there, were, there were years that there were losses to A&M Corpus Christi, so... You know, you 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 take a win anytime you can get it at this point, and just be be happy about it. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a good performance by any means, um, but I do think you're you're starting to see kind of this reemerging identity, and I felt like this was kind of a continuation of of what we saw in the Texas game, where you know the the identity and the style of play was 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 changing and morphing. Teams kind of you know easing back into that and trying to figure out okay, how do we how do we merge those those things together, this this old and new and, and put together a, a, a style of play that will win you games? So I think this was it was while it wasn't the the result that you would hope for against this caliber of competition, honestly, when you look at the schedule, that's kind of been the story of the season with even the these lower tier teams. We haven't really blown anybody's doors off. Uh Monroe was a six point win um Troy was a was a 4 point win. You know, these these games that you kind of look at and say, "Oh, well, yeah, we we cruised to victory and it wasn't really that close." Yeah, but it it but it should have been a, a a lot bigger margin of victory um and and it wasn't. So, I think that, you know, it's one of those things that what what I really want to see moving forward is what the team does uh next week against Texas Southern. That's a really good opportunity to show Okay, we've we've learned, we've adapted, we've taken what what happened against Oregon State, and we can translate that into positive momentum and adapt that style of play and continue to play in that manner uh, to to take care of a team that you should beat pretty handily.
0: And in terms of merging the old with the new, that took the form of Emmanuel Miller straight up just taking Chuck Mitchell's minutes in this game. Uh, Miller was stellar, uh, dropping 20 points on 7 of 8 shooting, uh, uh, which led to him being named SEC Freshman of the Week. And this kind of cemented what appears to be this newer wave approach of Nebo at the 5, Miller at the 4, Flag at the 3. Sorry, Chuck, you're the odd man out. So yeah, he only played 7 minutes in this game. And the one thing I will say is, so just kind of in the terms of of building this narrative of like, you know, Orlando was wretched, but we did get better in certain phases game over game over game. This was the turnover improvement game. So we had posted a season low of turnovers in 12. There were a host of other problems. But again, it's nice to see a concerted effort to fix the thing that was so terrible and the very, you know, the actual reason that you lost in the game prior. Um, One thing I will say, I I, I shouldn't say one thing I will say, because I keep saying five things. The next thing I will say about A&M Corpus Christi, this was another game where I felt we really, really looked like we were trying to draw these possessions out early. I don't know why we would do that, particularly in a game against AM Corpus Christi, but there was one moment I wanted to bring to your attention where uh, there was somebody from AM Corpus Christi gambled for a pass out top and missed. Instead of pushing, w- would have been a five on four advantage. We kind of just stood there, let the dude recover, get back in his spot, and then went about our business passing the ball around, waiting to take a shot under 10, um, which to me just says this is coached. This is. This is a mandate is don't take a shot too worthy in the shot clock, which I get at some level. If you're a bad team, the easiest way for you to stay close is to minimize the number of possessions. But
1: again, that's going to be a line we kind of have to straddle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, and I knew exactly what moment you were going to be uh, reviewing with, with that comment because I, I noticed the same thing. And, and you're right. It is coached. It's It's just trying to minimize – Minimize the damage. And I think that that's part of Buzz's style of play, right? Is you're going to get a... If, if you get a good look early in the shot clock, great. If not, let's grind it out, right? Get it get it down. Make them work on the defensive end because they're going to pay for it uh, there. And, you know, that's a that's less energy they have to bring bring at you on the offensive end. So I, I do think that that is certainly part of the style of play that, that Buzz is choosing to encourage at this point. But, you know... I I do agree that there are points in the game where you have to say, okay, this is a prime opportunity. They're a man down. Attack the rim. Go. Don't 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 wait. So force the rotations and, and find the open man. Um, but I think those things will come in time. There's, there's certain levels of comfort that that the team has to develop, right, to understand where how how do I push this? Where do I push this? Those types of things. And I, I think that the, over time you'll see those issues.
0: So I think Blake, this is the game. This is now the Andre Gordon part part of the pod because I've been kind of waiting to interject exactly when and where to talk about his improved play. And I think Animal Corpus Christi in particular is where I saw it because it was he and Miller specifically that were the catalyst for the run that kind of steered this thing back back out of disaster zone and it ended up you know helping us secure the win. But there was a couple of plays in particular that. Really make me excited about this kid because his problems, you know, typically you think about a point guard who comes to the P5 level. I mean, this guy's a true freshman. Typically a point guard at the P5 level. Isn't athletically ready. He's athletically ready. I mean, uh, with him and so there's a couple of plays I want to talk about in particular. A&M Corpus they showed hard on a on a pick and roll where the big man was clearly told stay with him and force him to cut back to the inside where there's help. And both times he had the speed and the upper body strength to get around the big man and to and to, to push his way towards the bucket. Which you might think like, oh, okay, job done, but. I can tell you from my limited time playing point guard, at that point, the job is not done. In fact, that's now now you've got the hardest part of the possession because you are now moving inside. You're moving towards the top of the three-point line or kind of in towards the free-throw line with now two people chasing behind you, uh, the other three coming towards you, and it's on you to make the right move. And both times, he dumped it off to Nebo for an easy bucket. One time for the alley that actually capped the 11-0 run. And I remember thinking to myself, that's grown man point guard play. Like, that is, that is someone who is ready to contribute at the P5 level. Um, So it's really, really useful to see that we have someone who's athletically there already as a true freshman Uh, time to time. You know, we do see mental lapses, particularly I noticed uh, against Oregon state, which, you know, again, not to do another weird time lapse, uh, another time jump in the pod, but when teams shift defenses, possession to possession, he's still not there, right? He's not, there's not the instantaneous recognition of maybe the set we need to get into or where the ball needs to go just to start things moving in the right direction. But, I have seen him grow immensely, and even though French is the starter in name, I mean Gordon is the best point guard on this team. He continues to get the line share, the minutes, and that's something I'm comfortable with.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I think you see is he he is a facilitate first point guard. He he attacks the rim, but he he attacks to facilitate, um, and and he's much better from a from a an attacking perspective uh, than than what you're going to get from French. French is he's it's just one of those situations where his size really works against him. Once he gets inside, he's just out you know, outmanned uh, from a size perspective. But Gordon Gordon has enough size and athleticism that he can he can find Nevo and, and find uh, Miller to, to help you know alleviate that pressure. Uh, so I think that, yeah, I, I love what I've seen from Gordon so far. Um, he's, he's not a, a score first point guard, which is definitely a departure from what we've seen over, over the past. I wanted to say the past two to three years with TJ Starks, but really it goes back even past that. I mean, you looked at, you, you look at going back to, you know, the days of Alex Caruso, right? Alex Caruso was a, a, a scoring point guard. So, you know, it, we've had kind of this, this scoring point guard role, and, and here with with Gordon you don't really have that he, he can score when he needs to but he's looking to facilitate for others and I think it definitely requires us to kind of change that mindset and, and say okay look this is this is what we want this guy to be doing is is attracting the attention getting himself into uh, into places that causes the defense to rotate and and create mismatches and find the open man so he's doing an excellent job I think you know it gets, you you feel like there's always these uh the the cliched announcer commentary uh topics which one of them is well gordon was was a high school quarterback, and you know but I think that this is where kind of having that quarterback mindset actually comes into play, right he's looking to distribute he's looking to get the ball in the hands of the open man, so I think that you know he kind of when you watch his play, you can say, oh okay. That's why, yeah. That's why the quarterback thing makes sense. He's got very much that that same sense about him of you know distributing the ball and making the reads, finding the open man. So
0: that closes the book on A&M Corpus Christi.
1: We weren't going to make you find listeners wait this long to get to
0: Oregon State. So, of course, we led with that. And I think now that means we can pretty much wrap it up here, Blake, and look forward to the next game. All I have to say about Texas Southern is that they are in their annual crazy road trip that they take every year to just basically collect as many paychecks as they can. The funny thing about this trip that they make is that they always give people, they always give at least two or three teams some trouble. Last year that took the form of them absolutely kicking our ass at Reed Arena by 15. But people also forget that uh, Texas Southern went on the road and beat that Oregon team that made the Sweet 16 last year. And this year, Blake, they went up to Oregon and damn near did it again. So Oregon is ranked number eight. Uh, Texas Southern was leading that game, I think, by one with two or three minutes remaining, and Oregon ended up pulling it out down the stretch. So... That's the squad that's coming to Reed Arena. Although I will say that same squad has been boat-raced by more than thirty in <laughs> plenty of other games as well. So I'm not sure which version of the team's going to make the trip, but it appears they do have a ceiling capable of giving us a ton of trouble.
1: Absolutely, uh, I think we learned that lesson last year. Do not sell Texas Southern short. You know, this is this is this is a, a game that has the potential to pose a, a challenge. You know, if guys think, oh well, this is the last one before SEC play. You know, if we start thinking about New Year's plans a little bit early, uh, you you could be in for a long night. So um, I would encourage if you're if you're local to the College Station area, as always, you know, this is part of the holiday hoops promotion. There's lots of good deals on tickets out there. Go, 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 uh, go t- take in a game, take the family uh, and enjoy enjoy some Aggie basketball. Uh, Texas Southerns, you know, they're they're not they're not the most stellar opponents but they hit the ceiling of, of knocking off some, some good teams.
0: I will say one other interesting note is that, so that's our next game, but they will actually play at Arizona State just two days prior to coming to Texas, which I did not realize until I was checking this out right now. So they should be a little travel, travel weary, and we will also get a pretty good look uh, potentially at which version of that team is going to make the trip. If they give Arizona State a, a, a good game, I'm going to be officially put on notice because that would be two really strong efforts back-to-back. But anyway, yeah, I'll keep tabs on that game on Saturday the 28th. I'll probably float that out there on Twitter, how that game goes. And then, like you said, Blake, Monday the 30th, they're in town and our last chance to to get
1: a look at the guys before SEC play starts. Yep, and as far as podcasts, so we will probably do an episode after the Texas Southern game to recap that game, uh, kind of put together our full thoughts on the first half roughly a third of the season uh all the non-conference play and then looking ahead to SEC play so that'll be kind of our big our big transition into uh, into SEC we'll, we'll hopefully roll that out a few days after the Texas southern game so uh looking forward to it hopefully I'm looking forward to that one yeah that should be a lot of fun a lot of a lot of things to evaluate there's a lot of coaches in the SEC so yeah there's there's gonna be some some good good topics to cover there
0: yeah there's some interesting stories to tell because they're uh, you know, what appeared to be a really strong conference heading you know, heading into s- uh, October and November does not appear to be that anymore. There are some chinks in the armor as you work your way up and down the SEC. So it may not be quite as tough for us to capture a handful of conference victories as it might have appeared even two or three weeks ago. But again, we'll chat in more detail. Talk to you soon, buddy. Take care.